don't know me, I'm Linda, and I have the awesome privilege of being married to Mike. Like he said, I know he's the one. So, anyway, but we're, we're going on this morning with the second session in our series on Abide. And for those of you who are on our Every Nation group, you would have received a little YouTube clip this morning from Joey Bonifacio, one of our pastors in Manila, just sharing the introduction that is in this little book. Do yourself a favor. That man has a way with words. He has a way of communicating things that just inspires me. But this morning, the thing that really struck me was he was saying, when we place ourselves in a position of humility, what we receive from the word is so much richer. There's so much more for us when we are humble. When we put ourselves, and I thought of myself as well, and I thought, Lord, help me to be humble when I hear your word being preached, when I hear your word being taught. Even when I was listening to Joey this morning, make me humble, Lord, because God says he gives grace to the humble. And this morning, let us receive grace as we dig into session two, which is the word gives life. Now, last week, Mike spoke about Jesus becoming flesh. And if Jesus is the word, then the word gives life. So Jesus gives life. And we are looking this morning at what does life mean? And I thought to myself, you know what, let me Google this. Okay, me and Google are pretty good friends. I, I Google most things, Mike, Mike knows. If you need something research, Linda, go Google, all right? But I was interested to what are scenes as signs of life? What is seen as a sign of life? When NASA sent the probe up to Mars, what were they looking for? What were they going to determine as a sign of life on another planet? And I started reading and I started looking at it and I was like, okay, I don't understand any of this. So if you want to understand what NASA sees as signs of life, just go Google it and maybe you'll understand it better than I did. But the one thing that they did say is that the hardest thing of finding signs of life is that there isn't a universally accepted definition for life. So even in that, they can't tell you exactly what they're looking for because they don't have an exact definition of what life is. But we have life. As we sit here this morning, if I'm correct, your heart is beating, you're breathing, we have brain activity, more, some more than others, but there is brain activity. And if someone's on life support, the presence or the lack of brain activity determines whether those machines are switched off or not. Do we see that as a definition of life? When in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came to give you life and life in abundance. Do we see that as a definition? I can breathe, my heart beats, and there's brain activity? I hope not. Because that doesn't sound all that exciting to me. That doesn't sound like something, oh yes, I want that. Or someone who doesn't know Jesus, where we go to them and say to them, you know what, Jesus promises you life. Oxygen, a heartbeat, and brain activity. Does that sound like something you want to follow? Doesn't sound very exciting to me. So what does define life? What is the meaning of life? And if we think of social media, 
Instagram, Facebook, any of those things, living the good life. What does that look like? The beach, a nice little holiday on the beach, drinking cocktails. Is it the, the um, skiing on the slopes? Is that, is that what we're looking for? Is that the good life? Apparently, there's a movement called pursuing the soft life. Anyone heard of that? The soft life? There we go. Yes, right? Okay. Now, that sounds pretty good, eh? The soft life. I mean, it's comfortable. It's soft. I can picture myself lying on a lilo in the pool on a hot day with a drink. And that is what many, many people see as the meaning of life. The good life. What are we pursuing? I want to show you two quotes. The first one is Mahatma Gandhi and the second one is Aristotle. For those of you who can't see the screen, it was posted, hopefully, on your, on your WhatsApp. Okay, but Mahatma Gandhi said, Every moment of your life is infinitely creative and the universe is endlessly bountiful. Just put forth a clear enough request and everything your heart desires must come to you. Aristotle said, happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. And again, I read those two definitions and I thought, I wonder Mahatma Gandhi's followers, how's that going for them? Just put out a clear, remember it must clear request and it will come to you. I wonder how that's going for them. It's not working for me. I've, I've been quite clear. X3, silver, two liter diesel. It's just, it's not happening. I don't know how much clearer to get. And the single ladies, tall, dark, handsome, working? <laughs> it's not working, right? Can this be a definition for life? That you just put out there, out there to where, to what? A very clear request and it will just come to you. Can the pursuit of happiness really be the meaning of life? How small is our world when all we search for is happiness for me? Me being happy, me being comfortable. How small is my world? According to Aristotle, every single time I'm unhappy, I am missing the meaning of life. And I need to go and find it again. What do I find it in? Where do I search for this happiness? There's that song I'm sure many of you know, it's all about you, Jesus. And I believe that in many societies, we can change that to, it's all about me, Jesus. It's all about me, all about my glory. It's all about what I want, what I need, instead of it's all about you, Jesus. But Jesus says, he gives life. His word gives us life. So how do we obtain this life that Jesus promises us? Not that the world promises us. What does it look like? And I'm going to ask you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, to John 5, 19 to 29. just want to give you a little bit of background. From John 5 through to John 10, Jesus is really making the Jewish leaders mad. Okay? Everything he's doing is just angering them more and more and more. And they are beginning to plot his death. They are beginning to plot against him to get rid of him. Because he keeps doing things that angers them. 
So before John 5.19, you see that Jesus and the disciples are entering Jerusalem at the sheep gate at the pool of Bethesda. And there Jesus heals the paralyzed man. He was paralyzed for 38 years. And he says to him, pick up your mat and walk. So Jesus does two things that he's not allowed to do. Number one, he heals the sick on the Sabbath. And number two, he tells the guy to pick up his mat and walk. You're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. For those of you who know enough about Jewish culture and Jewish religion, you can really do nothing on the Sabbath. But this guy was like, oh, well, this guy who just healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk, so that's what I'm going to do. And off he goes, and he walks off. And we watched that this week, or sorry, a couple of weeks ago on The Chosen, they had this little piece, and as this guy grabs his mat and starts walking, Josh looks at us and he says, if I was him, I'd never sit down again. Because what if I couldn't get up again? And we had to explain to Josh that Jesus' healing is complete. It's not dependent on this guy walking forever. But just that, just that moment of realizing that this man that healed me told me to do something and I'm going to listen to him. I'm not going to listen to these rules and regulations. And the leaders are now looking for Jesus. They want him to explain why did you do what you did. So firstly, he says to them, my father is working in verse 17 and therefore I am working. Okay, so now not only is he telling them, I'm working on the Sabbath, he's now telling them that God is my Father, therefore I too am a deity. Okay, like how much more can he do wrong in the eyes of the Jewish leaders on one day? Like he's basically telling them as well, I'm God. Okay, and then he goes on to our piece for today. I'm going to read these scriptures to you. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute justice, judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment." you'll see that the couple of times Jesus uses the words truly, truly. And we must realize that when we see those words, Jesus is saying, pay close attention. I'm about to tell you something really important. Pay close attention. 
And he says, I can do only what my father is doing. And as I was reading this, I thought to myself, have I ever started my day by saying, God, what are you doing today? What can I do with you today? What can I do today that would imitate you, God? And I felt challenged in a way, and I thought, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to see what happens if I wake up tomorrow morning and say, all right, God, what are you doing today, Lord? Where are we going together today, God? How can I imitate you? And in verse 24, again, he says, truly, truly, whoever hears my word and believes who has sent me has eternal life. So Jesus is speaking about an eternal life. The moment we give our hearts to him and we surrender to him as our Lord and Savior, we have eternal life. And we begin a journey that will one day get us to that eternal life. Verse 25, he says, truly, truly, the hour has come where those who are dead, those who are in tombs, will hear his word and have life. He's speaking to those who are dead spiritually, those who haven't heard him, who don't understand what he is saying. And he's saying a time has come and it's now. Not one day when you're in heaven that you will hear the word, that you will believe the word, that you will understand the word, that you will have life. Right now, for each one of us now, God has this revelation, the revelation of his word, the revelation of what his life means to us. So like I said, there are the two types of life. The one is eternal life, and the one is the abundant life that Jesus promises us for now, for today. And if I think of the world at the moment, and I think of churches in particular, I don't understand how we got to a place where this message, this message of abundant life, has become one of materialistic wealth, materialistic possessions. I'm living the good life if I'm rich enough to be skiing on the slopes in Switzerland or to be lying on the beach in Zanzibar or Mauritius or wherever. Then I'm living the good life then I'm living this abundant life that God has given me. Where has this theology come from? Where has this idea come from that abundant life simply means that all of your materialistic needs are met? I made a joke when I said I've made it, I've made it clear what kind of car I drive. I really don't care what kind of car I drive, okay? I do like looking at them, but what I drive doesn't matter, okay? But for a lot of people, that's all that matters, is I want this appearance of this good life, this appearance of everything is going really well. And the only way I can show that is what's going on around me materialistically. How big is my house? How big is my boat? Gosh, when we were on holiday now, just being at the coast and seeing some of these boats come past on trailers. I was like, oh my word, where do you even store that thing? Okay, but for a lot of people, that's all it's about, is the materialistic wealth and getting what our hearts desire materialistically. And a few questions came to my mind as I was pondering this, and it was, 
Why is having a Father in Heaven that loves me, that cares for me, has a purpose for my life, not seen as an abundant life? Why does peace that surpasses all understanding, joy unspeakable, not mean I have an abundant life? Why does having the Creator of the world by my side all day, as my counselor, giving me wisdom and guiding me, not mean I have an abundant life? Why does having the fruit of the Spirit available to me because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit not mean I have an abundant life? Why can we not look at those things and say, I have life and I have life abundantly? Can we begin to change our perspective? Can we begin to change the way we speak? Can we stop saying things like, Jesus hasn't come through for me? What does that even mean? That means Jesus owes you something. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. He died on the cross for us that we may have eternal life. We might spend 80, 90, 100 years here on earth and things might not go as planned. Folks, I don't think there's anyone sitting here this morning that can say absolutely nothing has gone wrong in my life since the day I was born. And if that is you, please come and speak to me afterwards because you have something that, that is very unique, all right? But we still have something that other people who don't know Jesus don't have. We have Jesus. We have his word. We have life that he has given us. For eternity, everything will be perfect. Okay, one day when we die, everything will be perfect. But we focus so much on these few years that we have here. Does our 80, 90, 100 years on earth, is it even a dot on the timeline of eternity? We are so obsessed. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Not just you guys. I'm obsessed about what's happening here on earth and what it's like. And I also want to be comfortable. I mean, look at us. We love comfort. Okay, you can see we don't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go cycling or jogging or because it's more comfortable in my bed. <laughs> All right. But if our focus can be, God, what do you want us to do in these few years that we have here that will make a difference to your kingdom, Lord? How can I live this abundant life that you have promised me? This abundant life, joy unspeakable, Peace that surpasses all understanding. A counselor that gives me wisdom all the time. Love unimaginable. You have someone with you all the time who loves you perfectly. Perfect love. He is with us and that is his promise. And if we believe that Jesus is the word, then doesn't it stand to reason that through reading his word, we get more life? If I put more of his word in me, and Jesus is the word, and Jesus is life, won't I have more life, and more life in abundance? Is it just my perspective that's maybe wrong? 
Is it just maybe my outlook on life because I don't spend enough time in his word that makes me doubt that I have life and life in abundance? Folks, we really want to encourage everyone, and I'm speaking to myself as well, to spend more time in his word because it's his word that gives us life. And in John 15, verse 4 to 6, Jesus speaks about the vine. And when we abide in him, he is our source for life. When we abide in the vine. When we have a difficult day, say you come home, you've had a really, really rough day, your teachers, the kids have made you crazy, your colleagues at work have just been really horrible for the day, where do you go? Do you go for the glass of red wine? That's the wrong vine to go to. <laughs> All right, we need to go to Jesus and say, Lord, refresh me, encourage me. I'm not against a nice glass of red wine, please. All right, red wine is good stuff. But we don't go to the red wine when we need encouragement, when we need life, when we need refreshing. We don't go to social media. Heaven forbid we go to social media if we need encouragement. Okay? Social media most of the time makes us envious. All right? And makes us angry at some of the stuff that's posted. But we all have a place we go to. Do we go to food? Do we go to chocolates? What do we go to when we're having a difficult day or when things are not going well? It is a sign of the vine that we are trying to tap into. And can we learn to rather tap into Jesus, who is the true vine, the only vine, the only one that can give us the nourishment and the life that we're so desperately seeking? And one of the, the questions that always comes up is, if you are tapping into the right vine, how will you know it and how will we know it? It's by our fruit. And what is fruit? What does fruit look like? Let's just think of the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus has given us the fruits of the Spirit by His Spirit. I can't sit here today and say, Oh, be patient, be patient, be patient. Patience pops out as a fruit. All right? The more I pray for patience, the more opportunities God gives me to exercise patience. So I don't pray for patience anymore. I've got two children and Mike every day in my life. More than enough opportunities to practice patience. I don't need extra opportunities, all right? But these fruits are available to us because of the Spirit. And the more time we spend in the Word, the more these fruits will become evident in our lives. The more time we spend in the Word, the more people will look at us and say, gosh, there's something different. How did you just remain patient in this situation? How were you so kind? How were you so loving? What is this peace? Why do you look peaceful even though your life is in a storm? It's because of Jesus. It's because of his word that goes in me. And there's an author, Richard J. Foster, who said the fruit of the spirit is the outward evidence of the inward reality of a heart abiding in Christ. I'm going to read that again. The
The fruit of the Spirit is the outward evidence of the inward reality of a heart abiding in Christ. Abiding means to remain in, to stay. Abiding in Christ is an intimate relationship with Him, where we stay or remain in Him, continually receiving, believing, and trusting that Jesus is everything that we need. When we abide in Him, when we remain in His presence, we are reminded that He is everything that we need. Do we really believe that, folks, this morning? Can we truly this morning say, Jesus, you are all I need? Truly say it. Not just because we know it's the right thing to say, but can we truly say, Jesus, you are all I need? Oswald Chambers says, never be hurried out of a relationship of abiding in him. Never be hurried. My quiet times are often very hurried. I have my daily reading and my chapter and, oh, I must get this done because seven o'clock I need to go. Or eight o'clock I need to go, whatever time it is. Or, oh, if I don't get to sleep now, I'm not gonna make it tomorrow morning. We're often hurried when we spend time with him. And I wanna encourage you, especially this week, as we fast and pray, like Mike said, if you fast without praying, Without spending time in the Word, it's just a diet. I can skip lunch and breakfast and keep doing what I'm doing. That's not fasting. Fasting is taking that time instead and spending it with God. I can remember, we've often said it, at that week that we fast, in the evenings, Mike and I are like, wow, the evening's really long when you don't have to prepare dinner and eat food together. You know, it's like, well, what do we do? It's only six o'clock. You know, it's like, but we've committed that this year as a family, our boys are old enough now, but as a family, we are going to spend time together in the Word and pray instead of having dinner. My, my boys are still going to eat, by the way, but okay, for us, they get to eat food, but for us, all right, but we've got to do that and not be hurried. What is God saying to us? Let His Word give us that life that he has promised us, life in abundance. Let him feed us. And you'll see as we go through this book, where it's speaking about Jesus is the bread of life. We feed on him. We need only him. Let's focus on him as our life giver. And even Tuesday evening and Friday evening when we get together to to praise and worship Him and to pray, come with a mindset that we're not going to be hurried before Him, where we can soak Him in, where we can abide in His presence to carry us through. So I want to encourage you that, like Mike said, if you've never fasted, plan your fast. Even if you skip one meal a day, and decide to pray in that time. Or not watch TV for an hour, where you usually would watch TV for an hour. Dedicate extra time to abiding in Him. And my hope is that it becomes a lifestyle. That we don't do this abiding thing and being in His presence for just this coming week. 
but that we will be a church that is known for the fact that we abide in Jesus, that we spend time with him, that our faces look different because we have spent time with him. I just want to pray for us as we, as we end off this morning and as we go into this week. If there is anyone here this morning, you haven't made that commitment. You haven't said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. You haven't received that first life that I was talking about, life eternal. I want you to raise your hand and I want you to be bold and come to the front so that we can pray with you this morning, that we can speak to you this morning. And if there are people here that, as I was speaking, you realize that you're turning to other things other than Jesus as your source of life. You've been looking at your life and you haven't seen the abundance of what God has already given you, what he has already done for you. And you just want to, in a sense, recommit yourself to that and say, Jesus, here I am. Forgive me for having folk placed my focus in the wrong things. Help me to turn my attention and my eyes back to you, Jesus. Just raise your, your hands and as I'm praying, if people's hands are raised, can those around them just go and stand with them, pray with them, trust with them, as God does something incredible in our lives. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word. And as we spend time in your word, Jesus, you refresh us, you feed us, you encourage us. Lord, I pray as we go into this week, as we consecrate ourselves and we, we pray and we fast, Father, that we would feel your presence, we would hear your voice. Lord, I'm praying that you would touch each person in such a special way, Lord, speak directly to the desires of their hearts. The things that they request from you this week, Lord. More of you, more of your presence. Father, that their focus and their attention would be so zoned in on you, Jesus, who you are, Lord. I just ask that those that need prayer, just raise your hands now so that people can come in and just stand with you and pray with you. Thank you, Lord. We just commit, we commit this week to you, Father. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.